So it is the first show of 2022, and just like your New Year's resolution, we want to start it off right, and oh boy, did we this week. We got a banger. My buddy, all the way from Rathdrum, Idaho, the prodigy, Brandon Polinick, on... I'm Bob Cobb for the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. It is a brand new year. Welcome back. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, whatever you celebrate. Um, I hope you celebrated this past year. And and I know for a lot of people that's tough because the world has got a lot of messed up stuff still going on. And um, with that in mind... I want to take a moment to thank you guys, because in this messed up little world, I don't know if you saw the video I put together over the holidays where I literally spent way too much time going through all the old shows um, from last season, and I grabbed a clip from each guest, and it was like a 13-minute video, but just when I put that together, the act of doing that to me really made me feel proud. I mean, because what we've done here as a community, and I say we, it's not just me, it's all of us, uh, the guests, you guys, you make this show. And what we've done here is a good, fun, weekly distraction from all the crap. And um, I thank you for allowing that. I mean, and we've done that without throwing crap because that's the easy route online you know what i mean is to start dirtying people it's the easy you're gonna get traffic i mean literally you could go from zero subscribers spew some hateful crap and sooner or later somebody's gonna find you and and you're gonna get traffic um we've not done that at all and i'm pretty proud of the show that that we have made together And I thank you guys for your support, for every single comment, for every single like, for every single subscriber. I mean, just the simple act of of liking a video and commenting, you have no idea just how important that is in the YouTube algorithm world. And uh, I thank you all for that. But without further ado, you don't come here just to hear me talk and blabber. You come here to get inside the minds of some amazing individuals. I mean, look at some of the the last few guests. I mean, Frank Talley. I mean, how awesome was he? And and that's what I love about this show. I mean, it, you don't have to be one certain way. You don't have to always um, think of things the same way. But all of these amazing people are grounded with one thing, and that's the dream that we all share. And that's the feeling and the dream that fishing gives us. And without further ado, let's bring out one of the greatest minds in fishing. Um, great young mind in angling. But he, he's getting older. He's getting older. And recently I did find out that they drop a freaking potato. Did you, do you know this, people? Google it. It's true. They drop a potato in Idaho for New Year's. Did you know that? Like, you know how New York does the ball? They, they drop a potato. I know when... Um, on Lake Erie, where is it? Port Clinton, Ohio. They drop a a walleye for New Year's. So let me know what weird things you guys drop for New Year's in your part of the world. And without further ado, let's go to Rathrum, Idaho, 
and hook up with BP. Brandon Polnick, we find you at a very, very rare spot, and that is home <laughs> in Idaho. This is true. Yeah, I'm uh, actually home. It's not going to last much longer. Uh, season is right around the corner, and I'm going to be taking off. Fingers crossed that the snow is not that bad. There's We've seen the worst of the worst leaving this time of year, usually. Uh, we've been stopped on the passes. We've been sh- shut down from high winds in Wyoming, and I've almost missed fishing expos and shows because of it. <laughs> I've never asked you this, but I heard something about Idaho, like literally right before we recorded this. Is it true that in Idaho – they drop a potato for New Year's. Is that is that really <laughs> true? I I don't know. Honestly, it's, I've never seen it. I I would not be surprised if they do that somewhere, but it's not something where like the whole state of Idaho goes like they do in New York and like watches the ball drop. <laughs> I mean, I, it it sounds like it could be real, but it also sounds like it could be a joke. So um, yeah, but I'm pretty sure it's real. I mean, I saw a video and everything. I thought you'd know about it, but I feel like maybe you're defending your state and denying any knowledge i am denying any knowledge of it because i don't have any knowledge of it but i'm not saying that it's not possible are you more comfortable at home or not you know what i mean home everybody always like that feeling at home but you spend the majority of your life yourself and tiff on the road is it almost more comfortable on the road or or is home still where you always want to be I, I'm probably more comfortable on the road because I end up having more routine on the road where at home, I feel like I'm just running around all over, like trying to pick up all the pieces of the stuff that we left from the year before. I mean, this, this season was the most time we've spent at home ever. Like literally since I started professional fishing, this is the most like the longest off season we've had, I guess, other than my rookie year, I think we finished the end of June. Uh, yeah. So coming home, I mean, the house that we're in now we've had for about three years and we've maybe lived a total of a year in it. <laughs> so I've, I've paid for it for three and lived in it for one, you could say. And uh, so I guess that's probably why we're so comfortable on the road but it is nice to have the space, right? To be able to have a shop where I can back my boat and my truck in and clean it and not worry about what the weather's like outside. It, the weather seems to be an obsession when you're home, really. I've asked you three <laughs> questions and the weather has come into play. Um, I, how in the world is somebody, because I know I get this question all the time and I'm sure you do, somebody from somewhere that deals with so much snow and everything, you know, before you, I mean, are you the first real big pro from Idaho. I mean, I don't know if, if anybody ever wants to admit to being a real, yeah, big pro, I would, um, Bink DeSaro fished, yeah. uh, for a while before I did. Uh, so I, I couldn't really say that I was the first, um, I'm still the only one now, you know, Daryl Okamika came, um, he fished from Idaho. So we have had some guys, we've had guys from the Northwest. We had Cody Holland, um, Clawson isn't very far away. He's like 45 minutes away. So there's definitely guys from up here, uh, that make it to that top level. Uh, and I think the big difference here versus like 
the East coast where you're at is we don't usually get as cold of temperatures Yeah, and our fisheries will actually stay open. Our bigger lakes will stay open throughout the year. If you're willing to brave the conditions, uh, it can be really good. But at the same time, I also feel like that gives us an advantage because we have to deal with all sorts of crazy extreme temperatures and conditions and everything happens really fast. You know, our sheet, our season's so much shorter so you're constantly changing and adapting and that's what you have to do. You know, you look at a season like we had last year on the elites where it seemed like every single event we had, we had some crazy system that mother nature threw at us and you had to adapt on the fly. And those ended up being the events that I did better. You have, I don't think even the average bass fan really realizes how close your amazing career has been at times to being a total disaster. You, you know, oh, how yeah. often, I mean, I look back at your angler of the year year and how often it was literally one o'clock and you had two fish or three fish in the boat. And you literally, I mean, I remember on St. Clair, you making an, an insane run and I'm like, what is he doing? He's losing <laughs> angler of the year, but then way in came yeah. and you, you didn't, but I mean, you literally are this close to wrecking to put it in NASCAR terms. A lot of times it seems. Yeah. I'm, I'm the guy that's always living on the edge, right? Coming around the corner with three wheels on the pavement and, and, you know, just barely hanging on. And it seems like I perform better in that zone. You know, if I'm, if I go the opposite way and I just kind of go with the flow or, uh, you know, I'm just, I kind of feel comfortable. You don't win that way. You'll cut checks that way, but you don't win. And you have to be willing to live kind of on that edge, you know, the edge of disaster of yeah. things going wrong, because that's when you figure out those special patterns or those areas that, you know, guys aren't willing to run to, or they're, um, you know, you're looking at something different than what everyone else is looking at, you know, something that may be abnormal for that yeah. body of water. And I feel like that's just, you have to live in that space if you want to win. I mean, AOI year is a perfect example of that. You know, I had a hundred plus whatever finish in Florida, uh, but then was able to still pull it off. How, when did you learn that? I mean, I feel like, following your career, it feels like you learned it very early on, but did you, was there a moment? Do you remember playing it safe or, or is that just been your experience through all sports? <laughs> I think I'm just wired that way. Uh, you know, even if you go back and look at my wrestling career, I would, a lot of times I won in the third period, you know, right at the end. I mean, uh, and I feel like that's happened a lot it's just not until recently that I kind of understood what that meant and what that allowed me to do. Right. Like you, you try to look back and figure out why you were successful in certain things. And I feel like that was a big part of it is because I was always willing to kind of live on that edge of disaster or success. And it seems like in our sport, that's a really fine line, but that's where you have to be competing at if you want a shot to win. You know, and there's some guys that just they mentally can't get to that point, right? Because they're too worried about cashing a ten thousand dollar check that it never allows their brain to open up to cash a hundred thousand dollar check. 
But what goes on in your mind when that's happening? Because to say that in retrospect is really smart. And, it, you know, it's, it makes <clears throat> sense to me. But I, I also when I put myself in your shoes, I can't understand how at one o'clock with two fish in the boat and an angler of the year title on the line. Do you still feel the same? Like everybody listening to this has been in a tournament situation and they feel that, oh boy, I am going to bomb. And they start obsessing with going to bomb and it usually pushes you in that direction. Do you even feel that? Or do you really just believe I'm going to catch you until you don't? I feel the pressure. Um, It's, but it's always pressure of not, Oh, I, I need to place this high or, Oh, I need to cash this check. It's more or less like just trying to figure it out. Um, And I think really the turning point for me is kind of when I bombed in 2017 in Florida and, you know, even after that, you know, I just, I made a change to where, I'm just going to catch as much fish as I possibly can every single day. You know, I'm going to catch the biggest bag I can today. Um, And having that mindset has allowed me to kind of adjust and adapt. Right. So that doesn't, that may not mean that you're going to be on the winning fish every single time because that's just not realistic. But what that means is that you are constantly adapting and assessing all of the decisions that you make and changing those to say, okay, you know, I've got a couple hours left and I've got two bass. What do I need to do in this moment to catch the most weight possible in the next two hours? And that may be going and chucking a giant swim bait. That may be going and punching a mat or throwing a crankbait. It just, it depends on those situations and, you know, the conditions that are right in front of you, you know, that's going to change on the body of water, the time of year, all of those variables that we have. And so you just take all of that information in and you just try to process it as fast as you can. Um, And really that's, that's the guy that's going to consistently do well over time. But by, by competing that way, you know, sometimes you don't play it safe because you're always looking for the next best thing. You're never satisfied with what you have. So you can sometimes burn yourself, but then it also opens up the opportunity to have really phenomenal events. So do you even think of the events in four days? You know, cause I, there's been pros in the past that literally have told me I'm saving fish for cut days and different things like that. Do you, do you think about it like that? Or do you literally just, try to make every, make the hours add up, you know, do the right thing to get the right bites for the next hour. Or do you long term? Um, like, how do you, how do you do both or, or do you? Well, both things happen with that statement. That I said earlier, right. Catching as much weight as physically possible that day. There's times that you lay off fish, right? You may be on a big giant wad of fish and if you're just catching, if you've got 20 pounds and you're just catching three and a half to four, four and a quarter pounders, it's really not doing you any good, right? Because I may coal up two or three ounces, but that may be four pounds tomorrow or yeah. two pounds tomorrow, right? So you have to be smart about those decisions and look at it and say, like, if this is as much as I can catch right here and you have this school, then yeah, you're going to save them, right? But it's not in the mindset of, I'm going to protect these fish. I'm going to save these so that I can just scrape by tomorrow. Right. You're, so you're doing the same thing, but you're 
approaching it in a different way, right? If I feel like I'm moving and leaving fish to go try to find bigger ones and gain more weight, that's a completely different mindset than I'm going to leave these fish just so I can try to scratch and claw my way through. Um, yeah. It's not that either approach is better or, you know, wrong because some guys operate better the opposite way. I just know that in my mind, I can't do that. I can't just sit back and be like, okay, well, I hope these fish are to, here tomorrow. I'm just going to save them. So what if they move? Uh, so you're better off to go spend the time to go find new fish or, you know, a different pattern or something. This mindset, and, and it's one of the things I say about you all the time that, that really impresses me. You're, you, you look at things much different than a lot of people your age. Um, and I mean, you're getting older, so I, it's about time. I mean, <laughs> you're one you're, of the you're, old guys. Your, your brains is catching up with your age now. Before you were ahead of your time. But so when I look at like the decisions you make, do, do you, when you look at the year one, your first season on the Elite Series, and you look at going into this season, how different are you today than you were that year? I'm way more confident now in my decision-making process. Uh, then I was making decisions based on the knowledge that I had, but it wasn't nearly as much uh, because really up until my first year on the elites, I mean, I didn't fish for a living. Like I still had to work an yeah. 80 hour a week job most of the time and, and compete and qualify while doing that. And so I had a lot of time on the water for my age in comparison to other guys. But when it came to comparing to the other guys on the elites, I didn't have that much experience. Uh, and so I was just going off of instincts and I've tried to always hold on to that and not lose that, but then also use the knowledge, right? We are all given whatever, eight, nine, 10 hours in a day to fish a tournament and the guy whose light bulb goes off the quickest is the guy who's going to win that day, you know, or put things together over a multi-day tournament. And so I, I feel like having more of that knowledge, things start to become more instinctual or right? you don't have to process through that information. You just do it. And that's where I've always like tried to get to, right. Is like, you see these, set conditions and they're coming through your eyeballs and they go to your brain and your brain just instantly processes it and says, I need to go do this or I need to make this change. Uh, you know, and I, I pay attention to that stuff when you're watching guys on live and things like that. When a guy sets a rod down and picks another one up, something has to tell him to do that. Yeah. You know, he doesn't just do that, you know, because he's a robot and his hand yeah. goes down and does it like, there's something in a guy's mind that says, oh, I'm going to put this spinner bait down. I'm going to pick up my flipping stick, right? It may be a piece of cover or a condition, right? It went from cloudy to sunny. Like, so if I can process all of that information without thinking about it, then it just opens up that much more to be able to come in and make those decisions that much quicker. And, but you know, when you look at it like that in fishing, I think it seems different. But if you compare it to other sports, it, it, it just seems different because we fish. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I feel like, I mean, there's a lot of times you set the hook. I mean, every single advanced angler that I know, I mean, you've set the hook times 
a time or two in your career where you don't know why you set the hook. Correct. Mm-hmm. I mean, like yeah. a lot of people, like, I mean, that's one of the things that blows me away. That's it working mm-hmm. full steam because you, you don't know why, but you just did. Yep. hundred percent. I mean, if you look like there's every other sport, I don't care what it is. Every other sport you look at has a, a guy or a team or several people that have a winning career, right. Yep. That have won more than they've lost. That does not exist in fishing. There's no. too many variables. Kevin has won more money and more tournaments, more elite events than anyone. He still has lost more than he's won. It's not even close. No. You know, compared to the amount of tournaments. I mean, Rick Clun won a ton of events, won four classics. He's still lost more classics than he's won. I mean, and it's because there's so many variables, right? And we're competing against a living creature that, operates under a different set of rules than we do. And when you combine those things, that's what creates so many variables, right? It's, in wrestling, it was easy for me to just compete against another person because I knew that I could be in better shape. I could beat 75% of the guys just by outlasting them. And the other 25% I had to be with skill. And, you know, you can't do that in fishing. It just doesn't work. Do you, I mean, it, it totally makes sense to me when you think about it because your yeah. body, your brain can only do so many things. So the second that you remove some of it, the setting, the hook, the focusing on the cast, all of that, the second you remove all that, it allows you, I would assume, to focus on the things that everybody's missing mm-hmm. because you're not thinking about casting and setting. It's just instinctual. You know what I mean? Yep. And and. But now when you're not worried about casting, now you can focus on things that other people aren't seeing, I would assume. hundred percent. I mean, you, like I get mesmerized watching some guys uh, when they're fishing techniques that they're really comfortable in, right? Like watching Jason Christie yeah. roll a spinnerbait around laydowns and brush and stuff. It's almost mesmerizing to watch because you can tell he's subconsciously thinking about every single cast, right? He makes every single cast with intent and with a purpose, but he's not thinking about it, you know, like, okay, I need to make this cast because it it looks good because of, you know, the currents rolling around this log, he just does it, you know, and he doesn't think about how his arm needs to move to make that cast. He just knows, you know, he has the muscle memory, to make that cast exactly how he wants to do it. And when you see a guy get in that kind of rhythm, it's really cool to see. And then that's also when he wins. Right. So it's like all of those, that goes back to my point of like getting into that zone, I guess you'd call it, but like operating under those conditions and like in that mindset allows you to be able to win events. It makes sense. I mean, I, while you're saying it, I'm sitting here thinking about everybody's job. It doesn't matter what yeah. you do. You know, who <laughs> yeah. is who is more proficient? The, you know, the surgeon that is not thinking, how do I cut? I'm supposed to cut from here to here or the surgeon yeah. that has done that surgery tons of times and they're reacting yeah. to what happens. I mean, and 100%. it, it, it uh, OK, so so you we figured out tournament fishing so far. You just need to get in your limbic brain. <laughs> how, how do you do that more? How do you make sure you are 
in that, I mean, I love how we do podcasts and every time we, we talk about topics I can't even pronounce. Yeah. No, I don't really know how to pronounce them either, but (laughs) I, I think, I mean, experience and time on the water is a big thing, right? Because the more situations you put yourself in, the more sets of those variables is what allows you to put that in your memory bank and be able to recall on those things when they happen. And the more times you put yourself in that situation, the more times you're successful in it or even not successful, you're able to adapt. That's what then allows you to be able to do that. And that's why you can't be a fair weather fisherman, right? Like if it's raining, if it's snowing, windy, whatever, you need to be out there in those conditions when it's safe and possible. Uh, But that's going to allow you to figure out things that some guys miss, Uh, you know, and I can't like, there's so many events that I've figured out how I ended up catching them in the tournament on the final hours of the last day of practice, Uh, you know, and events that I've done really, really well in. And it, I've just always had that mindset of like, you never know when you're going to turn the corner and you're going to see what you've been looking for. And it all comes together and it all starts to click. And it really, you have to have time on the water, but you have to be able to, the hardest thing in fishing is being able to flip that switch on and off from what's happening off the water to what's happening on the water. But at the same time, you have to be able to pull that in and use that to your advantage, right? And, And kind of fish off of that emotion and feed off of that but then also not get caught up in it, right? If something goes wrong, know that it happened for a reason and use that as a learning tool. You know, if I lose a big one, yeah, it sucks. But (laughs) at the same time, I I look at it and say, okay, I figured out how to get one big bite. How do I get another one? You know, like, can I duplicate that? Is it this area? Is it this technique? Uh, is it a pattern? You know, like how to, okay, I got that one big bite. How do I duplicate that? You know, and you just, you flip that switch to have a different mindset and it allows you to continually push forward and kind of get tap into that different part of your brain. How often do you figure out that thing or, or, you know, whether it be the way they're setting up or something, how often do you figure that out? Five times. On the way home. <laughs> oh, on the way home? All the time. All the time. Hindsight's always 2020. Um, you know, there's been events that I've figured it out in the last hour, you know, and you end up missing the cut and you're like, gosh, dang, if I just had one more day. Uh, I've had several events where I felt like if, if I just could have found that just a little bit earlier, you know, I could have made the cut and then made the next cut and you just never know. Um, but you, you just put that back in your memory bank, right? You just use that for the next time. Um, and I feel like that's, it's always easier to look back, right? And watch Bass live and say, oh, yeah, that guy's right there. Duh. Like, why didn't I go do that? Um, but that's the thing that makes it so special, right? Is like, we all have access to the same, the same body of water, the same water, um, you know, that's available. And 
you know, if a guy's smarter to access that water than I was, uh, props to him, you know, I mean, I think that's, that's a cool thing. That's why I've always felt like not having limitations on bodies of water and stuff is always a good thing. Cause if a guy, we all have access to the same water. If a guy's willing to go make that run or access a place, as long as it's open to the public, then that should be allowed because, you know, that's a guy can't complain about having water open because he doesn't want to make that run or doesn't want to access a place. If someone yeah. else is willing to. What's the closest you've ever been to, to figuring it out and it just happened too late? Like, is there any event you look back <laughs> on and you're like, man, I really think I could have won that event or I was right there and I, it just didn't click for me. Um, and um, one of them that stands out the most is actually my rookie year and it was the final event of the season. Um, and if I wouldn't have found them, I'm, you know, looking back at it now, I wouldn't have made the classic, but we were on Wheeler and it was later in the year. I didn't know a thing about ledge fishing and I was a rookie guy. So even if I had found some fish and I roll up and there's a guy sitting there, like, I wasn't the kind of guy that could just sit down and be like, Oh, Hey, I'm going to fish here with you on this school of fish. And I also think 11, 12 years ago, that was different. You know, there yeah. wasn't as much of that. And so I, I had no idea what I was doing. I was running around, like I was catching a few fish, but I didn't know anything. And I remember running back from the lower end of the lake and I was on my way back to weigh-ins. I was like, I just have to do something. And I started looking at the maps and I shut down on a place and I started idling. And if someone would have been videoing me, my eyeballs had to have gotten that big <laughs> because it was, it was probably the first time um, that I had ever looked at side imaging and been like, holy cow, that is a massive school of bass, right? Like I've been looking for that my entire life. And I say my entire life, I never had side imaging until my first year on tour. So I didn't really know what I was looking for, but instantly when I saw it, I was like, that is what every single picture looks like in Bassmaster magazine. Like that's, that's it. That is the school of bass. And I remember spinning around and it was every single cast I was catching them and I was calling as fast as I could. And I'm looking at the clock going, I mean, I'm the guy that likes to push it until the last few seconds checking in. And that's, I've just always been that way. And that day was no different. I mean, I was pushing it to the end thinking, you know, if I catch one five pounder, I may be able to have enough to do this. And I ended up, you know, running back and barely missed the cut knowing that there was this massive, massive school of fish there that if I would have just caught one of those the first day, then I would have made the cut, but I ended up qualifying for the classic. I think I won by a tiebreaker. I might've actually beat Davey height in a tiebreaker to make the classic Oof. that year. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, might've been Davey. Huh. We'll find out. It's the best way to find things out. Sometimes we don't know look. things at bass. We're like, <laughs> Well, I'll just say it on live. And if it's not, like, for example, Paul Mueller's uh, biggest smallmouth ever, when he caught that fish, I was almost certain 
that it was yeah. the biggest smallmouth ever. And everybody I thought that knew, I kind of reached out to, and they were almost certain, but none of us could really say, yeah, for sure, that's the biggest. So we just said it on live, and nobody disputed it. So it definitely was the biggest, I guess. So, so it became fact. <laughs> yes, basically. Um, but uh, so you said that you said that it was different 11, 12 years ago, like we're where you didn't see as much yeah. of guys sitting. Is that electronics alone that has changed that? Or is that just uh, the, I, the changing of anglers, you know, young, hungry anglers? Or what do you think? It's a combination of things. Um, I think the advancement of technology has probably caused that some. Yeah. Uh, because everything is so much more easier to find right yeah. like the mapping is so much better the imaging is so much better more people know what they're looking for uh, you know where before it took guys years and years of you know scanning around these lakes and finding these waypoints where now you you have the knowledge to almost be able to look at a map and the contour lines and say oh yeah there should be fish right there so guys end up idling a lot of the same places over and over. Um, and so, I mean, <clears throat> technology has played into that because it's just exposed so much more of where those fish live and how they yeah. live, but it's still not the technology that's making that decision. Yeah. Right. Like the, the technology helps you find the fish, but the angler still has to make that decision. And I've never been able to put my finger on whether it's right or wrong um, because there's some situations where, you know, say you go to Pickwick, you may run all the way from dam to dam and check 25 spots that you've got marked that you've got a school of fish on. And there's a boat on every single one of them. And if you run all the way to the dam and you're like, well, I literally didn't get a fish on a single spot and you run all the way back through, and there's a different boat on every single one of them, right? And at some point, you have to be able to go catch a bass, you know, if you're competing. But it's how you approach that is what makes a big difference, right? Like, you don't just run in there, drop your trolling motor down like you own the place and not even look at the guy next to you and just start fishing, right? Like, you approach it and you, you ask, you know, like, you make it known that you know exactly where the spot is, right? Like don't just come on your trolling motor a hundred yards down, kind of meandering your way down to the guy. Like we're all smart enough to know that that guy doesn't know what he's doing. But if you know where the spot is, you make it known that that, you know, those fish are there. And then you, you ask, right? You communicate like, Hey, you got here first today. Do you mind if I come in here? you know, today, or I'm going to come here tomorrow. Like that's why we have boat draws. I remember Trip Weldon saying that all the time because he knew that someone was going to complain about something in those ledge events. And he's like, look guys, that's why we flipped the boat order. He's like, you guys can work it out on the water or that guy can beat you there tomorrow. Like, and that's really why that's there. And it's, it usually comes down to communication, right? Like if I, if I talk to a guy, you can tell whether a guy is like, yeah, come in, no big deal, whatever, we'll work it out. I've had phenomenal events like that, fishing next to a guy yeah. where by the end of the event, we're laughing and joking with each other and you're pumped when the other guy catches one. You know, I mean, 
But I've seen situations where guys just come in, they think they own it, they don't care that a guy was there before. That's where problems start. Do you see that problem happening more with any, not a particular angle. I'm not asking you to name somebody, trust me. Yeah. If, if you would, this would make this podcast a lot more popular, but I'm not going to put you in that position. But do you see that more with young anglers or because you would assume they'd have to be more aggressive, you know, because they're trying to make their way or is it just young, old, it's all up to the, to the person basically. Yeah. It's all just uh, up to the person. You know, I mean, and, but that's the biggest thing is communicating, right? Everyone has the ability to do that. There's only a hundred of us out there, you know, right. In an elite event. Now, if there's a high school event with 500 boats on the water, that makes it tough, but like, we all know each other, right. And whether you hang out with the guy on the water, off the water, you're going to be around the guy, you know, for at least one year of nine events, if not 10 or 20 years. Right. So you might as well communicate and talk about it. Um, And I think you see it more in young guys, um, but that's just because it's been conditioned more and more and more. Right. I mean, like just that technology and more guys finding the same stuff. And it's, it seems like it's just kind of became okay and kosher just, to come in and fish with someone. But if you talk to the older guys, they're like, if I saw a guy within a hundred yards, I didn't even stop. Like they just kept going, but there were less people fishing. There wasn't the amount of technology, right? Like if Elias found some offshore cranking place, he found it with a flasher or something, you know, <laughs> like he did, it's, it's not the same. Like they didn't have the mapping and all of that. I mean, I'm guys around here, we used to try to find hard bottom spots by dragging metal like conduit and chains and you just feel like soft bottom, soft bottom. And then when, as soon as you hit rock or gravel, it would start clanking and you could feel it. Do you think that that what you're saying is no different than what David Fritz has said in the past, but you need put the names together like in it, but it's always different technology you know, the big buzz thing now is forward facing sonar, but before yeah. that it was side imaging and all, you know, mapping's a huge deal. There's so many, but it almost feels like every generation of anglers comes along and they're like, well, the technology that I came up with was enough. We didn't need to make it any better. And it, do you feel that way at all? Or, and also do, are your two wins that you did not have forward facing sonar? Like you hear people saying we should put asterisks on those wins with the forward facing sonar. You should get like double wins for those because you actually were, did it without it while you were competing against a lot of guys that had it. Yeah, I mean, the way I think about technology is that the fish will always win. Yeah. Mother nature will always adjust and adapt. Um, I mean, and d- take the Alabama rig for an example. Or like how many years did it just completely dominate and – it didn't take, I don't even think it took a full 12 months before, you know, the guys that fished on a lot of the Tennessee river stuff where it was really happening, where they said, man, we're not catching the numbers of fish. We're still catching really big ones, but we're not catching the numbers like we did. You know, that first year they caught 50, 60 fish in a day. And then it was like, Oh, I caught 
10 or 12 fish. You know, they still caught really big ones, but those fish, they started to adjust. Uh, and now, I mean, I don't, I mean, there's times and places where it, it definitely makes a difference, but I still don't think that it's, you know, like the end all be all of baits um, in every situation, you know, like you saw it early on. And I feel like technology is the same way, right? Places, uh, you look at St. Clair, it's a great example, right? When we went there the first few years of my career, you could move around on your trolling motor pretty quick. And if you saw one under the trolling motor, he would stay there and you would drop on him and catch him. When we went there in um, 2020 and all those guys, I was kind of like really when a lot of the forward facing stuff yeah. came into play, it was a completely different game. Like if, yep. if I, if you got on top of one, that fish was gone. He disappeared. And so then that technology, right. That forward facing kind of started to make a difference, but what's going to start to happen is those fish will feel that. And yeah. they, you know, I've already heard even some guys talk about how, and you used to be able to scan over there and the fish would just sit there and you just, they'd stay in the cone. Well, now they move, right. They, they feel that and they, they move out of it. They move out of it. So we're always advancing technology and I don't think we should stop that. Um, you know, because for me, I just call them fun amplifiers. <laughs> it, you know, like it just, it helps me catch more fish. It, I enjoy my time on the water more when I'm catching fish. And, but it's never going to get to the point where it's like, Oh, it's going to, kill all the fish or like all the fish are going to get caught. We catch such a small, small percentage of the fish that live out there that it's just not, you're never going to put that much of a hurt on them with technology. Yeah. But that seems to be always the, the thought, you know what I mean? The instant yeah. thought is you guys, it's going to ruin the sport. It's going to, but I, I feel like it's the same argument over and over again. Like you talk to people from back in the day, when they brought out the first Lawrence, you know, people were that the box or whatever it was yeah. referred to as people were like, that thing's illegal. That should just ruining the sport. And, and there's just as many people that say that about forward facing sonar <laughs> now. Um, do you think it prices some people out of the game in the way that, or do you think that it doesn't matter, you know, what technology, when you tried to get into the game, it was, you were so priced out of the game anyway, like no matter what point yeah. it is, you talked to Rick Klun. I'm sure he said when he got into the sport, he was priced out of the game and the technology wasn't near as much. Yeah. I think that, um, you can obsess over those kinds of things. Right. And as yeah. soon as you take the mindset of like, you're the victim of like, I can't compete because I don't have this technology. You beat yourself. Technology didn't beat you. You beat yourself. You know, you can look at that and take the opposite of approach of like, Hey, I don't have forward facing sonar. I may not have mega 360. You might not even have side imaging, but guess what? You've got a boat, you got a motor, a trolling motor, and you've got a rod and a reel. There are still bass out there that you can go catch. You just have to approach it with a different mindset. And I think too many guys get caught up in that. of like, Oh, I can't compete because I don't have this technology. Like guys were winning tournaments and catching bass just as big a fish, right? Guys were catching 10 pounders 
before technology and they still catch them with technology. The only thing technology does is it opens up um, different techniques or areas that are more accessible, right? I mean, suspended fish, that's where those were always the most difficult fish to catch. It was the hardest thing to keep your bait in that strike zone. It took a lot of knowledge and a lot of time on the water to understand that that's what has been exposed. But guess what? When everybody gets that technology and they all go searching for that, that means the bank's open. That means that middle ground stuff's open, right? There's a lot of things that then open up. So it's, it's really in your mindset of how you want to approach that. You can, you can go either way. You say, I can't win because I don't have the technology. Or you can say, hey, look, I don't have the technology. I don't even have to worry about looking for those kinds of fish. I'm just going to focus on this deal over here. And everybody, I mean, seen anglers that had that technology that were excellent at that technology. And, th- and mm-hmm. they found out that that technology can hurt you too, because you get so oh, addicted yeah. to, I mean, it, it's honestly like an Alabama yeah. rig. I remember the first time I fished <laughs> an Alabama rig and then I picked up a tube jig afterwards and I'm like, what in that? Like, I'm going to catch one at a time now. This <laughs> sucks. It's, it's, but I, I yeah. would imagine like, yeah, rolling up to a point and knowing there's fish there gives you a little bit more confidence, but there's plenty of guys that that hurt last year too. Oh yeah. You get stuck in a place. You're like, Oh, there they are. They're going to bite. There they are. They're going to bite. And next thing you know, you're like, Hey, it's one o'clock and I got two bass in the live. Well, <laughs> I need <laughs> to change. That can happen. Um, what do you find most frustrating on the elite series? What frustrates you most, uh, you know, on a weekly basis, the weather, the fish or fellow anglers? <sighs> hmm. <laughs> or all of the above. I would say probably the fellow anglers. <laughs> I was hoping yeah. you'd say that. Yeah. Um, and I like, I love everybody and I'm willing to help everybody on, on the elites. Uh, but when you hear guys complain about stuff that they have control over, um, or that they want to try to blame something else or someone else for it, um, that just bothers me. And so that's not even really like just fellow anglers. That's just like fellow human beings across the planet. (laughs) Um, so it's not really directed towards the other elite guys. Like that's just directed towards people in general. Like I've never heard of, I've never had a fish complain to me and the weather, I can't control that. So you just adapt to it and change with it. But man, when people start complaining, it's just, I can't take the negative energy. You really do surround yourself with positivity. Like, is that an effort? Like, or is it just like if people are negative, think, you just don't hang out with them? Yeah, I think it just naturally happens. You know, I mean, um, we joke all the time. Like when I won AOI, uh, Pipkins was staying in our trailer with us. And it, Tiff would be like, why are you so upset? Right. Like I would finish 20th. And. I would be all pissed off because I lost one here, there, something that could have made the cut. And Chad would finish 40th and be pumped 
and be like, you know, way more positive about it and in a way better mood than I was. Um, but I learned a lot from that. Right. And I mean, and surrounding yourself with people like that makes a big difference. Um, you know, Carl's the same way. A lot of times, like he'll get down on himself, but then at the same time, he's super positive. Like all the time, right? Like, I mean, he has a great outlook on stuff and I feel like that just makes life so much more enjoyable um, because you can, every single day we have thousands of decisions we have to make, right? You go to the bathroom, you have to decide whether or not you're going to zip your pants back up, <laughs> right? Like you make thousands of simple decisions every day. So why not decide to be positive and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't talk about things. Like if there's issues with things, yeah. you talk about them, but you don't approach them in like this negative, like just pointing fingers all the time. Just have a conversation about it. Make a decision to be positive and like see the good in things. That's hey, my it, rant for the day. No, I, dude, it's one of the things I respect most about you that you are that positive and you are that, you know, because I mean, we live a pretty freaking blessed life. Like if you look at how stuff could have worked out for many of us in this yeah. industry, it, it's pretty good. I mean, you know, it, um, it's weird. You know, uh, Jerry Seinfeld always says that, that the true success in life is, is, is accepting your own misery because everybody feels like they're something miserable. <laughs> your miserable yeah. might be like, I can't eat that kind of food or I got to work out every day or I got to do whatever. Yeah. But once you accept that, Life's going to be so much better. You know what I mean? Like it isn't. Um, I mean, I feel like I'm preaching to myself. I should probably spend not <laughs> eat that food and work out more. Maybe I'm getting too personal. One thing I want to talk to you about that I think you have very under control that I never knew was a big deal um, until I heard it from some rookies afterwards and stuff. Take off in the morning. Like you hear a lot of rookies that say that they were cool and everything, but then they showed up at takeoff and there was a bunch of media <laughs> around and music and that, you know, the obnoxious stuff that we do, that's what ratchets them up. And then they, you know, it's a tough way to, but you are always remarkably yeah. calm and what, what is going on in your mind during takeoff? Do, are you thinking like, well, do you have a checklist you go through or what, what do you do during takeoff or is it just, uh, I'm not it gets easier. I mean, I, I'll tell the rookie guys, like, it gets easier, right? Because it, your rookie year, it's all unknown. You're not used to that. Um, but then once you start to know what to expect, then it's easier to manage that, right? It's easier to manage the media and stuff. Um, but I've always felt very comfortable in that. And I think that came from, like, my wrestling background, you know, like, at at, by the time takeoff comes around, you've already done all of the work. Like you've already built the groundwork for what's going to happen that day. Right? Yeah. You've already made your game plan. You've already tied all your tackle on. If you haven't, that's probably why <laughs> you're in such a scramble in the morning, right? Because you're trying to do these things that you could have done the night before. And now you've got media and all these things. So then you feel flustered, but if I have all of my ducks in a row and I like I already have my game plan, doesn't mean it can't change. But if if you've got all those things, like I go to blast off knowing that 
there's work that has to be done, right? And then I, I may show up early. I do this at the classic a lot. Like I'll show up and I'll park off to the side and like I'll put headphones in, I'll play some music, like I'll get my rods out, I'll do all the, like I'll get my stuff ready in preparation for knowing that when I launch my boat, I'm going to have to do interviews and talk to people and, you know, do the business side of things. But if you have everything in line, it's easier to do those things, right. And flip that switch on. And then by the time it's time to go to your boat, that switch flips and now it's game time on the water. When you compare our, our sport to other sports, it's really not fair when you look at what the anglers <laughs> in this sport have to deal with. Really, when you think about it, like if watch a quarterback yeah. get ready to play, nobody even looks at him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like literally he might talk to receivers or whatever, but he goes through those steps and it, it doesn't matter. Or a gymnast getting ready at the Olympics. I mean, nobody's mm-hmm. going to talk to that person. But in fishing, not only are we going to talk to you, we're going to ask for pictures, we're going to ask for all sorts of stuff. And then, you know, you're going to go on the water and you're going to have to narrate your competition day. Have you ever stopped Mm -hmm. to look at how much different it is in other sports? Yeah, it's way different. But I mean, the difference is, is also what makes so many of us fall in love with it. Um, Right. I mean, one, the number one thing is just the fact that anybody can do it. Yeah. You know, like not all of us can go play in the NFL or MLB or, you know, like you have to have physical attributes that allow you to be able to do those things, to compete at those levels. Fishing is not necessarily that way, right? We have guys of all different shapes and sizes and from all different parts of the world. And so the fact that that is true, then allows so many more people to want to gather that information. And then the other part of it is, is it's not a, it's a spectator sport, but we can't fill an arena with 20,000 people and have them watch us fish. And so all of that information to kind of put your day together needs to be collected before and after the event. Yeah. You know, like all of that media needs to happen. All those pictures need to happen. Like, to make the business side of it run, all that stuff has to happen so that they can tell that story that's happening on the water. And then, you know, Bassmaster Live, like that is the way that we spectate, right? And, but because there's so many variables, like we have to talk through that of like what's happening because what's happening below the water and what's happening above the water are two different things. And we know, but the viewer doesn't know what's happening under the water. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Do you think this sport will always be for everyone? Because, because when you like, I'm just thinking when you said that, and I've never even really thought about this before, but if you think about it, like you look at golf, for example, mm-hmm. before Tiger Woods, fitness was not even something they talked about around golf. And yeah. now you, it's hard to find a golfer that isn't in really, really good shape. I mean, they're the, yeah. The John Daly's of the world are yesteryear. It doesn't happen. Do you believe that that could be an evolution for the sport? I mean, as yeah. things move forward, you just see, you know, I think it's the age of a sport. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the sport of 
pro tournament fishing is basically 50 years old uh, and you're compared to 100, <laughs> yeah. 150 year old sports. Yeah. I mean, really it goes back to like cavemen, right? Like you went survival of the survival of the fittest. Right. But I mean, when mm-hmm. you think about it in that sense, like there's, you have to qualify to get here. And so, and it's a competition. So if yeah. being in better physical shape, which then puts you in better mental shape, gives you a competitive advantage, eventually that's going to continue to evolve, right? Like we've continued to evolve as humans and like that's, that will probably happen. It doesn't mean that every, everybody can't fish, fish right? Yeah. And like guys can compete, but There's plenty of fat golfers very, every Saturday yeah. and Sunday. <laughs> probably more than fit golfers. Yeah, but probably, yeah. <laughs> Realistically, I mean, the majority of our country is obese, so there's probably more overweight golfers than. I mean, fifty percent of this show right now. <laughs> <laughs> there's probably more overweight fishermen than not. But the, but at the highest level, there's there's no doubt that like being in better physical shape puts you in better mental shape, which then makes you compete better on the water. I mean, and as that bar rises higher and higher, that will continue to happen, right? Like there'll be every year, there'll be, you know, a few more guys that are in a little bit better shape. New guys come in, younger guys come in, they're in better shape. And I think you'll, that will continue to evolve just because that is human nature. All right. I'm not going to take too much more of your time because uh, we've talked for a while here and I appreciate yeah. that. But uh, what's your goal for this year? Win all nine elite events. Come on. It's the same every year. You have <laughs> never, I mean, you got close, you got close in the past. I mean. no. The problem is, is I, it's people laugh at it. And I mean, I kind of say it jokingly, but I say it seriously too. Like, it's not probable, but it is possible. Yeah. I say that all the time. The difference is, is that I now know, like, I'm not putting the odds in my favor because I haven't dedicated myself enough to be able to do that. What do you mean by that? It's, like to it, competition, you mean? Like you're obviously dedicated to the sport. Well, the amount of sacrifice that you have to put in to give yourself the best odds of that is a lot, right? Like Tiff would have to sacrifice my family, my friends, like even sponsors, like everybody, like to do that, the amount of time and focus that it takes to put towards that is difficult, right? To give yourself the best odds still doesn't mean that it's going to happen. That's not a guarantee, but I'm at least smart enough now in my old age that I know if I was to do that, I like it, I don't even, the odds would be so much lower than if I truly dedicated myself to that goal. Right. But that would mean not coming home. That would mean traveling to every event, and not that I think pre-practice always means that you're going to do well because most 
the tournaments that I've won are on bodies of water I've never been to before. But <laughs> I I feel like um, that's what you would have to do to give yourself that shot, right? Like have the most understanding of every body of water. And then it's still not a guarantee, right? Because like, just because you have all the knowledge of the body of water doesn't mean you're going to win. Like you still have to put it together that, that week. And I just like to sacrifice that much and just push all of your other relationships aside and just be that self-focused is really difficult. Do do you think, I mean, I've, I know my opinion on this. I think almost all pro athletes and, and, people who have jobs, even myself, and and I'm far from an athlete, but somebody who has a unique job, we're a little bit selfish. (laughs) And you, and, and, and the higher the athlete is, you're a lot more selfish because you, you're forced to be selfish. You're forced to care about doing that. So, um, but most, most people will not admit that, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, like you just write up a hundred percent and, and I, I think it's true. Yeah. Thankfully, I learned that super early on. I, I think I knew that at 16, that if I was going to follow this and put in the amount of time that it was going to require, I knew that was that there was a level of selfishness to it. I didn't process it as well as I do now, but I knew that that was there because I was missing hanging out with my friends on Friday and Saturday nights. Like I was missing birthday parties. I was missing weddings. You know, like I was missing all of these events and different things because I was chasing this goal. And I mean, even Tiff could attest to this of like, when we first started dating, one of the first things that I told her is that this is a very selfish game. And it doesn't mean that I don't love you. It doesn't mean that I don't want to spend time with you. Like you just have to know that there's a level of this that is selfish to be successful. And it, it like, it just has to be that way. And if you find someone that's willing to accept that and understand that, then it's great. Right. And it, it doesn't mean that you don't care about those other things, but to be competitive at the highest level and whatever you're doing, you have, there has to be a level of selfishness, right? Even starting a new business or something like the amount of time that it puts in, there's a level of selfishness there, right? That sacrifice that has to happen. And I, I don't know that I'm willing to be selfish, that selfish um, to, to make that goal happen, I guess. But, and, and I think that that changes as you, go through life too. I mean, when yeah. you're 16 years old, it's not being selfish. It's that kid's <laughs> obsessed with fishing. That's all he cares yeah. about. And that's, I mean, you replace fishing with whatever you want. Everybody knows a kid like that. And, yeah. but as you get older, you start to realize, I mean, I'm missing some things and I'm, you know, I'm not there for this or that. And I'm probably not the best friend because I'm not going to be at all your birthday parties. You know what <laughs> I mean? Uh, I may make your wedding. I may not. It's just how yeah. uh, it's, it's, but it, I think it's it's also, you know, it depends if you look at it as selfishness or you look at it as commitment. You know, it all depends on the narrative you want to put beside it, because every yeah. um, I, 
have you, I don't know if you've watched any of that Tom Brady series, the man in the arena, but he, some really cool no. things he says. And one of the things he said at the end of uh, an episode recently was to be the best, to be the top of anything. And he's chosen to be in the NFL, obviously, but yeah. no matter what you are and no matter who you are, it's hard. It's really, really hard mm -hmm. to be there and to stay there. And it should always be that way was his point. Um, how do you feel about that? Like, I mean, and I'm not, I hate when I say things like that because sometimes every once in a while people be like, Oh, are they whining about how tough it is to be a pro <laughs> angler? It's not that I'm just saying that it is hard. Like life's hard. I mean, you, it, yeah, it, I'm trying to remember. It's hard. There's a really good quote. And I can't, I'm trying to remember who it was. It, it, it was a pro athlete and I'm, I could throw some names out there, but I'm not even going to throw names out there and be wrong. Cause I don't know exactly who said it, but it was to be in the 1%, you have to do what 99% of the people aren't willing to do, you know? And like, if you want to live in that 1%, that's just the reality of it. You know, um, we, uh, the way that we're wired, we always will take the path of least resistance unless you tell yourself otherwise. Right? It's yeah. just human nature to take the path of least resistance. I mean, <clears throat> I even think about it. Like I watch my dog, Bella, when I let her out in the morning, she goes and runs the same trail. Yeah. Uh, like most things in nature are that way. Like they take the path of least resistance. And uh, like, just think about it. Like, I mean, some people have snow, some people don't. But if you have snow, like if you walk out of your house, most of the time you don't just go straight through the snow. Like you take the path that is beaten down the most and you follow that all the way to your car, even though it might be twice as long as if you just went straight. Uh, so that happens all the time, but you can't do that. If you want to compete at the top level, you have to live outside the norm to make that happen. Because the fact is, if it was that easy, everybody would do it. I think it's totally true. And I think that's what makes it so special when it happens. You know, when yep. you see that person win and that's why they cry. They're not crying because, oh, I did it. It's because, no. you know, how many people told me you're an idiot? Don't do yep. it. Like, what are you thinking? You're from Idaho. There's no way you're going to like, I mean, yeah. you've been stuck in snowstorms and crap, just getting to your job. And yeah. and the easiest route, like you said, is is where the trail is blazed. But you're a trailblazer, dude. Thanks. So, uh, Thanks. and I appreciate you spending a little time with me here on the yeah. podcast. Me too. Um, will you, if you win all nine, will you come on after you win each one? For sure. All right. So we'll For sure. I feel like it'd be a lot of pressure by the ninth one rolling around at the end of the yeah. year. Oh, it'd be Gosh, horrible. Could you imagine that? Ooh. And then you don't win it, and people all of a sudden, you've won eight out of nine, and people are like, ah, he didn't pull it off. It's like Tom Brady when he won all the regular season games yeah. and lost the Super Bowl. People look yeah. at that as a losing season, but uh, it's pretty yeah, good. One. You got to do some soul searching on that one. Yeah, that's... Uh, well, I, I look forward to seeing you nine times this year on this on this <laughs> yeah. show, and then I'll see you at some takeoffs and other stuff like that. But uh, I gotta beat some I gotta beat some hammers before that happens. Uh, yeah, and the hammers keep getting better and better every year. It yeah. seems, but um, that's for sure. You're one of them. You like to lie under the radar. And who's the most frustrating guy to, to compete against? 
Gosh. Um, I would say Chris Johnson because I always run into him somewhere. Yeah. It's always like right around the corner. But I would say like I as I love fighter like a brother, but he is one of the most frustrating people. And it and it's only because I know how he is with his fishing. Like you look at his like I guess you'd say his demeanor, right? Like he's yeah. very nonchalant, easygoing, kind of go with the flow. And you would think that that would translate over into like his fishing, but it's not. He's like the complete opposite. Yeah. He's very analytical, like very smart. Like, ev- you know, everything has its place and it's understanding. Like, so it, it, the fact, like, that's what honestly what makes him so dangerous, right? Is because he's able to have this part of his brain that is just very methodical, nonchalant, like go with the flow. That allows him to have an open mind and adjust, but then he's super analytical and, you know, orderly and everything has a process on this side. And when you combine those two things perfectly, you have seasons like he did last year. Yeah. Where he just demolished everybody. So I've only like Jordan Lee's another that's, guy. That's, that's like what that. I was going to ask you about next. Cause he, to me, he's the most frustrating dude. I, uh, I would hate to fish against him. He's he's exactly the same way. And he's probably not as organized and like as processed as Seth is, but they have yeah. a very same like demeanor about him, right? Like they're just and I think you see it more in Jordan because you have Matt that's the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> um and they're both incredible fishermen. But you're like, how does he like how does he operate like that? But then win so much uh-huh. um, but I mean it's because like he's able to just focus right like I don't know it's amazing but it's it is kind of frustrating to like look at those guys and like and it's only because what you see from the outside is not what you what's actually happening on the inside yeah, yeah. you know you're just seeing a shell of what's actually happening and that's what's frustrating because you look at it and you're like Wow, like how, <laughs> but really if you dive deeper into it and you're on the inside looking out, you'd be like, ah, I get this, right? Like this makes sense. And then Jordan will just walk up in the stage and be like, you know, I just like fishing. And <laughs> I mean, uh, it, yeah. it, it, at least would you, you give, but I know that I, I've always said that about Jordan. Like, I mean, he's talented and everything, but man, he, Slides under the radar like I just got lucky here and there, and he he would frustrate me the most. Yeah. I, I think, but not flashy, but he's phenomenal. He is phenomenal. All right, I'm not phenomenal at ending these shows, so I'm going to end it right now. Brandon Palmer, yeah. thank you very much. All right, we'll see you. I love me some BP. I mean, I think he honestly was the perfect guest to kick off the new season, just simply because. I mean, he just oozes positivity and and he literally has willed his entire career to happen. Um, and it's weird for me because the very first time I met Brandon um, was at my first classic, his first classic as well. Um, and I 
hadn't emceed an event for Bass. I was just hired and they had announced that I was going to be the MC and I was starting at the Classic. So I met Brandon that week in the lobby of the hotel and I wasn't dressed in Bass clothes and clothing or anything. I, I you know, I, nobody knew who I was type thing. And uh, he walked up to me and he introduced himself to me and I knew who he was right away because I had done research on you know, the young guy from Idaho that qualified through the Bass Nation and everything. And we spent 20 or 30 minutes talking and just catching up. And, and just the act that he came and introduced himself and, and how polished he was and how driven he was at that time. And it was funny because the end of our conversation, I had to go, I had to leave him right there and I had to go to a production meeting. And the production meeting is where you get with, you know, the other on-air people and it was Tommy Sanders, Mark Zona and Mike McKinnis, Jerry McKinnis, whoever was in on the meeting. And um it's funny cuz I remember I went into that meeting and if it ha- if Brandon didn't become Brandon, I probably would never tell this story, but he did, so I will. And those guys will um will verify this. I mean, I walked into the meeting and I remember all I said in the entire meeting was I just met this kid And I don't know if he'll ever catch a bass, but if he does, he has every other asset that it takes to be successful in this sport. Well, clearly he caught a bass and clearly he has willed his way to where he is. And literally, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, how he thinks, how he does, but ultimately the biggest reason is he's just been positive i mean every single time i've seen him and i've seen him in many different areas of his life you know what i mean it's not always not always victory moments i mean in crushing tough moments and stuff like that but he's always been positive and and i think that uh one thing is true positivity i mean we talk about things being contagious a lot the last few years but one thing that is truly contagious is positivity and uh hopefully you bid onto a little bit of that brandon polnick positivity and take it into your life and will your life to be what it is and here's all that i hope i hope that no matter what your life becomes and whatever dreams you accomplish or, or don't accomplish just 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 chisel out about an hour of time every wednesday right here on a silly little podcast that goes by my last name because we couldn't think of anything else. Happy New Year. It's good to be back with you guys. We'll see you next week. Enjoy Bean and uh, Uncle Bob. Take it away. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?